Blog Talk Radio. The beat goes on. The beat goes on. Drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain. La da 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 dee. La da 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 da. Charleston was once the rage, huh?
any other that I've ever seen, that's for sure. Um, we don't have the kind of rules that the FCC has for a broadcast, so if things get a little uh, out of control uh, language-wise, well, we're all adults here, and if we're not, we grow up pretty quickly. Um, I have some pretty broad rules on this show. I will pretty much let anybody come on. Um, my screener is a wonderful woman that we call Non-Compliant Mary, and I could easily be called Non-Compliant Joe, and um, we're going to talk about why we would all be so damn non-compliant, and it has to do with bad rules and bad laws and um, what good people do when they're faced with bad laws. And that's what this show is about today. It's about bad laws and those that are willing to break them. Um, and sometimes we try to follow them best as we can, but the laws that are governing the use and cultivation and manufacturing and distribution and transportation of the cannabis plant are all flawed. Every one of them in every state, in every aspect, there isn't a single one of the legalization measures, and it just bugs the shit out of me to see these legalize it signs because legalize it is a Trojan horse. Legalize it is something that makes you feel like you're doing the correct thing, but what you're actually doing is setting a trap. We're going to talk about that trap, and we're going to talk about what to do about it. We're going to talk about the Human Solution International. That's the organization that I'm the founder and CEO of, and that's the organization um, that this show is primarily about. Uh, the show is brought to you by the Coffee Party and the Coffee Party Radio Network. And if you are watching this live in the, uh, the live feed, there's a live stream that is emanating from the Joe Grumbine public figure page, and there's also one emanating from Lisa Wooldridge's page, and hopefully it's getting shared around a lot. Um, the audience for this show has been growing dramatically, and I'm really pleased about that. Uh, we're reaching far and wide across the states, and we're going international. We've had uh, several international guests from our brothers to the north of us, and um, we've established an audience out of Canada. So we've got the live stream that's going on Facebook. We've got the feed that is on Blog Talk Radio that has been shared around. And then, of course, you can call. You can pick up your phone from anywhere on the planet and dial 646-929-2495. I welcome everybody to join the conversation. If you're listening, um, if you're listening on the show right now and something that's said either inspires you or ires you or, or makes you happy or sad enough that you have something that you want to say, you, you can just hang up, call back, and Mary will take your call and let me know. There's a little uh, screening board that I'm looking at, and it tells me who's listening and who wants to talk. So if somebody is sitting here with a listening category and they decide they want to talk, um, just hang up and call back and you'll be able to just do so. 
We do have one guest that typically calls in, uh, Craig Cecil. Craig Cecil is serving a life term for pot in our federal prison system. And the Human Solution is a civil rights organization, and we believe very strongly that no one should ever go to jail for a plant. And there's just no reason outside of somebody taking that plant and harming another individual with it. The plant itself isn't a crime, shouldn't be a crime. There shouldn't be any possible way that you could go to prison because of this plant. So what that tells me, unless you can, and I welcome, oh, Lord, do I welcome the argument. We're going to talk about why I welcome this and how I welcome this in a little bit, too. But if you feel in any way, shape, or form that regardless of what the law says or doesn't say, that there's any reason why somebody should go to jail or prison, be charged with a misdemeanor or a felony for simply cultivating this plant, or five, or ten, or a hundred, or a thousand, or ten thousand, or ten million. If you think that for any reason that that simple act should be a crime punishable by felonies, misdemeanors, and jail or prison, I want to hear about it. I want to hear you explain to me why. If you feel that transporting this plant, distributing this plant, giving it away, selling it, um, driving with it, whatever, is somehow, regardless of what the law says, I'm not talking about what the law says. I'm not saying if you followed the law or if you didn't follow the law. I'm saying do you feel that there's any way or any reason that somebody should be convicted of a crime simply for possessing, cultivating, manufacturing, distributing, or transporting this plant? I want to hear about it. So please reach out far and wide. The Human Solution is an all-volunteer organization. It's an organization that was built out of a need. When my case began, oh, 2009, my first case, I reached out. I reached out everywhere I could find. I reached out high and low. I asked um, every organization that I could find for help. I said, you guys are here to advocate, to legalize, to um, uh, make changes, to, to, you guys are activists. Clearly, you have something to help me when I got busted for pot. Regardless of the details, I'm going to get into some of the details because back in 2011, on today's date, I was sitting in a trial. I was halfway through an 18-day-long trial, sitting on the defendant's chair with a judge that stonewalled us, didn't give me any of the uh, uh, due process courtesies that the law would dictate he should, and that got proven later on in the appellate court. The appellate court ruled very strongly against this judge. But it didn't matter. While I was sitting in that defendant's chair doing what very few people are willing to do is stand up and say, you know what, I'm not going to take your deal. 
I'm going to take this thing to the box. And I had an attorney, a well-known attorney in California, I don't know, while, while we were going through this big process, I think it was actually after the trial, while I was still standing my ground and unwilling to take a deal and, and going forward through the appeal process and trying to get a second trial, this attorney, who many people have paid a lot of money to, to represent them to um, mostly organized plea deals, he came to me at an event and he said, Joe, I appreciate what you're doing. You are a lion among men. You have stood up against the government, or very few people will. But you got to know this. You are never going to get a fair trial. And he made some quote that Abraham Lincoln had said about something about the likelihood of getting justice in a courtroom. And what happens is the odds, when you decide that you want to exercise your due process rights, you have a right to a jury trial. And when you decide to exercise that, the court takes offense and decides, well, fine, if you're going to waste the court's time by prosecuting this case, if you're going to take up my valuable time and resources to actually hold a trial, then the stakes are going to increase. And if you lose, you're going to lose big. And the odds are going to be... Uh, exponential that you're if you if you lose you're going to do prison time you're going to do time way beyond what you would normally do and i didn't care i was so pissed off that they were willing to go after me when i had not done anything to cause anybody harm there was not a victim in my uh, even in my accusations, they accused me of selling pot. That was their accusation. Ultimately, when they figured out that they weren't going to be able to get any of the other uh, trumped-up charges that they tried to land on me uh, to stick, all they really tried to get me on was 12 counts of selling pot. Well, yeah, I was selling pot. I was operating... Um, under the California law, I was operating with the advice of multiple attorneys, multiple advocates and activists. I was operating in a way that I believed and everybody believed that I was working with to be the very most compliant way that I could be. I was doing everything in my power to be lawful. And what did they do? When it was all said and done, they sent undercovers into my uh, collective, into my dispensary, and they filled out our paperwork. They agreed to our terms. They showed a valid recommendation from a doctor and a valid ID. We did our due diligence, and we verified their recommendation. We even verified that the physician that wrote the recommendation was currently licensed. We did everything that we could possibly do to be compliant. I was not afraid of law enforcement when they came in on me because I believed that I had nothing to fear because I was doing it right. Um, we kept books. We paid uh, state sales taxes. Um, 
we were in the process of uh, adding a high-tech bookkeeping program and, and uh, management program to this. And while we were in the process of it, we had kept all of our, you know, documentation of monies that were spent and whatnot. So when we got raided, they seized everything, all of our computers, all of these boxes of files and everything. And they came into the trial and they said, look at all the money they made. And they generated a report from our bookkeeping program. And what it showed, what it showed was that we, as a business, as a lawful business, were operating in a reasonable way. What it didn't show was any of our expenses because we hadn't got to that point yet. We were still figuring out how to incorporate all the different uh, variables, all the different types of products. We were still in the process. So the books that they got had one side but not the other. So what they did was they went ahead and generated reports from that, the way it was set up, where it showed all income and no expenses. And they were able to convince a jury of my peers that I was guilty. They said I was guilty of making a whole bunch of money. But what really happened was that this kind of a business is very expensive. and the markup really wasn't what they thought because the cost of doing business was huge, especially at the time. And what they didn't get was the fact that we hadn't turned one penny of a profit. In fact, we were all actually in the red um, quite a bit. But the way they were able to paint the picture to the jury was that there was all this money, um, and I was convicted. It was because of all of the people that came to my trial. It was because of 18 days worth of protests in front of that courthouse. It was because of the journalism, the reporting. It was because of the diligence of the supporters that were taking notes. It was because of the people that we were standing with that made it possible for us to fight this way. It's mind-blowing when I sit back and I think about it because, um, you know, the last six years, four out of the last six years, I was locked up on this this time of year. And one of those years I was sitting on a defendant's chair fighting for my life. And then when the jury came back with a guilty verdict, my heart dropped to the lowest place it's ever been. I can't think of a time when I was more dismayed, shocked, saddened, um, disappointed than when that jury verdict came in. They found me guilty of 12 counts of selling pot in a state where I was clearly able to do what I did. And other people very clearly do it just like I was. And, you know, it was political. It was, and we'll get in, we probably won't get into the real reasons why this whole case happened. But the point that I'm trying to make is it doesn't matter 
if you're following the law or not, if the government decides they want to point their finger at you and throw a rope around your neck and throw it over a tree and start heaving, just like they've done in the old days to people that they didn't like. You get hung out to dry, you get lynched, you get drawn and quartered, drugged through town, and they'll do everything they can to to cause you harm. It was because of the people that were standing in court that filed declarations along with the, the hundreds of character reference letters that I got. And that judge saw what was coming, that we weren't going to sit by and accept this verdict because it was a bad verdict, that we weren't given a fair trial, we weren't given due process. My attorney fortunately made a record of that. He actually recused himself at my sentencing. When I came in to sent, be sentenced, I uh, expected I was going to be going to prison for a while. They were trying to put me away for 12 years on a first-time offense. And I had you know, kind of kissed everybody goodbye and said, well, you know, I'll see you on the other side. I ate some edibles and got myself really high. I said, if I'm going to get locked up, I'm going to, I'm going to go down. I'm going to go, go down slow and easy, I guess. Anyways, we get in there to sentencing and the judge says, you know what? I've uh, made a little mistake. I'm going to have to recuse myself. And I walked out of that courtroom and I never thought I would walk out of that courtroom. And I was a little bewildered. I was very happy and I was very high. The rest of the day was very odd and surreal. But what came out of it was we went from one judge to another to another. And finally, um, it was determined that they were going to rule on our motion for a new trial submitted with all of these um, declarations by the supporters as to what happened in this trial that violated my due process. And as we found out later, after reading the 5,000-page transcript, there were errors. There were things missing in the transcript that the, that the declarations caught. Um, anyways, four months later, the judge ruled in our favor and overturned the jury verdict. I was unconvicted, something that doesn't happen. I've never heard of it happening before, and I haven't heard of it happening since. Um, but it happened. Subsequently, they filed an appeal to regain their uh, conviction. So I'm in the appellate court, and the prosecutor's the appellant. And they ended up losing. Bottom line is, if it wasn't for the people that were standing with me, I would be probably just finishing up a prison term right now. The Human Solution is an organization that is unlike any other. We're an all-volunteer organization. Uh, we ebb and flow. Sometimes our membership is huge. Sometimes it's fairly small. Our membership tends to grow or shrink depending on how many people are willing to stand up and fight, how many people have it within them, the, the, the wherewithal, the, the fight, the, the, the spirit, um, the, the revolutionary, I don't know, thing that, that – that we have in us that say, you know what, we're going to do the right thing no matter what. If the law is bad, we're going to break a bad law. If, the, if, if people are getting convicted for this, we're going to get on a jury and we're going to not convict them. If somebody is being accused of a crime that shouldn't be a crime, we're going to stand by them. We're going to do what should be done, and that's what we're here to do. 
Today, our membership is larger than it's been in the past, smaller than it's been in the past. It's been growing slow and steady. Um, we just have a new 420 member, uh, Karen Taylor. She goes by Karen Baker. Anyways, I want to thank you and uh, welcome you back to the fold. Uh, Karen's been a member off and on for a while, um, but she renewed her 420 membership. And uh, these 420 members are, are really important to me because it's a little monthly tithe. It's a little $4.20 a month to be part of an organization that is all about performance. We don't have an admin budget. I'm the CEO of the company, and I don't get paid a nickel from the company. Um, my vice president is sitting right next to me helping me film this thing, and she doesn't get paid a nickel. My treasurer and secretary, she doesn't get paid a nickel. None of the board members get paid a nickel. Nobody gets paid. What we do is we donate our time. We This is a commercial-free free show. This is about making a real change in the world. This is about um, correcting a wrong. Throughout our history, America has passed bad laws like nobody's business. We used to have laws that they called Jim Crow laws. Look them up, folks. We've had the most horrible laws in the world. We've had, we've had laws that didn't allow women to vote or own property. We've had laws that didn't allow all kinds of things. America has historically passed bad laws. And when we figure it out and decide that, wow, maybe that wasn't a good idea, reform happens. But usually it takes a while. It takes a while from the point where a law passes to where society actually recognizes the value of that law. And remember, there's a letter of a law and there's a spirit of a law. And so many people get lost. I'm going to be bringing up uh, Glenn Kaling from Ohio, who is sharing in my situation today. He's in Ohio, and he's charged with crimes um, that shouldn't be crimes. And whether or not he was following the law in Ohio to the letter or not really doesn't matter to me. Um, it's easier for us to support somebody who does, but in my case, it didn't matter one bit. Ultimately, standing your ground and getting the community support is what made the difference in my case and many, many other cases. That's what can make the difference here. Hopefully, justice will prevail, but any of us who's been through the justice system, what we call the legal system, will find out otherwise. We got Craig Cecil calling in from federal prison, and then we're going to bring up uh, Glenn, and we'll continue on with our conversation. Who's calling from? An inmate at a federal prison. This call is being recorded and is subject to monitoring. Hang up to decline the call or to... Hello, Craig. How's it going today? Hello, Joe. Well, it's about 20 degrees and dark in Indiana. And, uh, and I certainly hope you're not in any of those fires I keep seeing on the news. No, I've been very fortunate. Um... Most of the fires are, are well to the north of me. There's one to the south, um, but fortunately where I'm at, uh, we're, we're unaffected by them. They say that one of them is the fifth largest fire in California's uh, known history. Um, and it's been 80 degrees and breezy nonstop out here for the last couple of weeks. And no, no, 
no relief in sight. They say another couple of weeks of, of this weather before any possible rain coming our way. Well, hopefully you stay far away from those fires, because, like I say, our, our national news here in the Midwest uh, gives extensive covered coverage to fires that look to be all over California. Yeah, it, it's brutal, and in this case, um, you know, it's funny, in, in so many things, in so many ways, the affluent are immune to the scourges that the world has, but one of these fires... Um, uh, is near Bel Air, which is one of the most exclusive areas in California, and million-dollar homes are being burned up just the same as the the shacks that get burned up in the trailer parks. Boy, that, somebody's crushed over the loss of those, no doubt. Oh, there there are thousands and thousands of people who've lost their homes and businesses over this. It's going to be devastating. Um, the only good news is, is when the rebuild comes, um, you know, it gets left better than it was found, and, and um, you know, the, the strong pick up and keep going, and that's really all anybody can do. It's unfortunate that this is happening um, during the holiday time, but you know what's unfortunate? The fact that you're locked up for one more year and one more Christmas, and, you know, it, it didn't require a fire for that to happen. That's certainly true. The most recent news out of the Bureau of Prisons is about three to four months ago, the Bureau of Prisons got a new director. And typically the last uh, six months of an inmate's uh, sentence is spent in a halfway house. So they, you know, can get a job, can get some money saved up to, you know, buy some clothing and, you know, even run a, a place to live and stuff like that. Well, the new, new director came in, and instead of sending people there for six months, some of them are only getting sent for two weeks, others for 30 days, where they really don't have a much of a chance to reintegrate back into society. Wow. So that's caused, the, that's caused a lot of anguish because the, there's a lot of people that had dates to leave here, and they didn't tell them until that day that, oh, you're, you know, you've been pushed off for... Uh, you're not leaving for five more months. I've seen people with their families waiting in the car in the parking lot to come and get them, to take them to the halfway house, and you know, and they tell them on their, you know, on that day after they've already given away all their, you know, belongings and things like that. So it's caused a lot of anguish throughout the bureau of prisons. <laughs> well, you know, it's 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 really screwed up. It seems like somebody that is in a, a, a point of charge or authority with the Bureau of Prisons should have some common sense. It seems like, you know, the whole point of, of rehabilitation and, um, you know, restitution and all that is supposed to, they don't, supposedly, they don't want you back once, you, once they let you go, right? I mean, supposedly, the idea is, is you, you, uh, uh, put somebody back in a way that hopefully they can, you know, get a foot on and, and get back to life. And, you know, that halfway house, like you say, it's, it's sort of a stepping stone. A lot of people, um, when they get out of prison, don't have, uh, you know, a family unit to jump back into and, and have a buffer zone between them and life. Um, so many people, when they get out, 
have been abandoned by, you know, most of the people around them or have family that isn't capable of of putting them up and, and you know, giving them a, a that buffer zone. So the halfway house really, like you say, it gives you an opportunity to integrate into the world a little bit. You know, in some cases people are gone for more than 10 years and you come back, it's a different world. You know, it's not the uh, – Things aren't how they were. So to think that you can go and leave in one day and come back ten years later and just walk right into it is ludicrous. It's been the situation faced by a lot of them because so much has changed. I've been locked up since 2002, and when I got locked up, the only thing a cell phone did is make telephone calls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now there's about nothing it can't do. It's it's uh, the the computer and a cell phone is bigger, is more computing power than the computer that NASA used to get the orbiter to the moon. That's insane. But as of today, a bunch of the senators apparently were getting complaints from people's families about the the change in the halfway house dates and all that. You know. A lot of families, you know, were expecting people home for the holidays, that, and there's hundreds of them that won't be. And uh, as you know, even, uh, oh, I forgot his name now, that's uh, Phoenix now that got commuted by President Obama. Uh, his date changed from October till, uh, I believe it's uh, like next May. Wow. Wow. So, uh, you know, he won't be, you know, home for the holidays as he anticipated also. But uh, the congressman today called the uh, director of the Bureau of Prisons to appear in front of him. So we're anxiously awaiting to figure out what happened at that meeting to see what coverage we can get of it, if they'll allow any of it to be public, or especially to us prisoners. But uh, we're anxious that hopefully they're going to undo that change. That's affected so many people, and you know, really kind of messed things up. What was their logic behind it? I mean, when when they enact a policy, don't they typically have some grounds for it? They didn't. They didn't uh, pre-announce it at all. And uh, unfortunately, when the congressman originally challenged the director as to, you know, why has this changed, he denied that there was a change. <laughs> <laughs> But now, like I say, he's been called, you know, to appear in front of them. And, um, you know, so hopefully they got some answers out of him today. It sounds like politics as usual. Only, you know, in this case, uh, people's lives are at stake. Their freedoms, their, their, you know, livelihoods, it's all, it's all at stake. So, you know, just like making a little rule that affects the diet or the uh, available calories to an inmate, um, something like this is maybe equally or even more uh, devastating. You know, Craig, since we started speaking together, I don't know, almost four years ago, um, there's just been one after another after another assault on the inmate's way of life. It's not bad enough you're locked up in a place that is a shithole. It's not bad enough that you're in a place where violent, dangerous people are for a non-violent, non-dangerous act. But to continually have things that affect health and well-being 
um, being assaulted and violated one after another, and they go from the dental to the medical to the food to the now to the you know the 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 adjustment period to get out. I mean, what what are they going to do next? I don't know, and like I say, the the people are you know just untrained, and they they don't even consider rehabilitation anymore. The other person that was supposed to leave in October was uh, Paul Free, who's been in prison since the 1990s. I mean, you know, he's going to be in a halfway house for a month or two now. I mean, how is he going to acclimate himself back to society? How much has changed since the mid 90s? Well, and and I can remember um, a couple of years back, we were trying to locate somebody involved with his case, and, um, you know, it was another tragedy, a a rat that had done some really shitty things, and we were trying to track down this guy, and the guy was evading everybody. I personally went to the guy's house trying to to reach him, Um, and I, I can remember at that time, there were very few members of Paul's free Paul Free's life that were participating because me I I didn't even know the guy and and they're asking me to go and do this stuff so I'm thinking to myself where's your core you know I mean these people we ended up being the core and you think to yourself okay so you let a guy like that out after being locked up for 20 years or however long it's been you know what do you go out to you know how how are you expected to acclimate and what do they think is going to happen? That's, I mean, uh, unfortunately, and then they wonder why after the people come back to prison because they, they can't find a job, they can't, you know, they can't reacclimate themselves, you know, that they have no resources. And and one thing that, he, that I saw happen in my life, you know, of all my extended family, of cousins and aunts and uncles and all that, I only correspond to, with one cousin who's come to visit me and that. And he says other cousins and aunts and uncles and all that tell him not to communicate with me. I'm a felon. I'm in prison. Leave him alone. That's bad. And I, I think that happens to a lot of people. It does. In fact, um, you know, I was talking a little bit about that. Um, you know, in 2011, on today's date, I was Let's call it from a federal prison. I was in the middle of an 18-day trial. And, um, you know, those people that stood by me, very few of them were my relatives. I think I had uh, one brother that showed up one day out of out of all the court dates, and my dad showed up a few days, and my uh, my dad's wife at the time, she showed up. She was there pretty much the whole time, and that was it. And I, I come from a big Italian family. I've got you know a uh, hundred first cousins and and you know dozens of aunts and uncles, and and none of them, not one of them. Not even my, you know, my brothers and sisters, not even my own mom came out and showed support. So I know, you know, had I gotten locked up, I probably would have come back to very little as well. No matter who you are, no matter what you're made of, people are afraid. They don't, there's such a stink on prison, there's such a stink on this that they just will automatically assume that you were guilty of something bad if you're in prison. And it doesn't necessarily make it so. Yeah, because that's where, you know, I, I'm i just befuddled. I mean, you know, how how did prison change me into some sort of pariah that I can't associate with anymore? I mean, you know, what did I really believe that it changed in me? And, and like I say, that's, 
you know, my family really isn't unusual in that regard. That happens to virtually everybody that, you know, I, I've talked about that subject with in, in prison here. That people just, I mean, they, they just become afraid of prisoners, afraid to correspond with them, afraid to visit them, afraid, you know, to even admit their family up well, and, and it's the same thing. I can remember when I was going through the case, um, I, I had very little communication with any of these people. And sometime after the case was over, and it wasn't just a few weeks or months, it was in some cases, you know, six, eight months after the case was over, I had a few people reach out to me after they had heard that it was all over and that ultimately I was exonerated. They finally came back and asked me a question or two, but even then, I think I think they were partly ashamed of, of you know, not not wanting to be a part of my life while I was going through this. But the truth is, people will flee, and and you know, and that's another thing. I was just talking about how important the, the groups like the Human Solution are, and the fact that we're an all volunteer organization, and that you know. We stand up with people that are willing to, uh, you know, to fight. And unfortunately, sometimes when you fight, um, you end up where you're at, and uh, we stand by you there as well. I think that was the first beep. Yes, it was. But on that, on that subject, I want to thank the Human Solution and, and all that, because I can just relate what the Human and others have done for me is, my first 10 years in prison, I wouldn't get a piece of mail, but maybe once a month. And <laughs> and the human solution, just by, you know, putting out some exposure for me and, you know, through Sherry with the website and through so many other activists that, that you know, the human solution assembled to help us, you know, now for the first time I, I got a visit from my family. I You know, I corresponded. Yeah. God dang it. Well, that's what happens. Craig gets 15 minutes to talk and not 30 minutes, not 25 minutes. It doesn't matter if he's got a lot to say or a little to say. He's got 15 minutes. And, you know, for everybody who thinks that passing some law in your state is the end, it isn't going to help Craig. There's not one single law that you could pass in your state that's going to get Craig out of prison. We need to end prohibition. We need to just end it. It needs to no longer be a federal crime. It needs to be decriminalized. It needs to be in such a way that you cannot be sentenced to prison for it, no matter what. If you violate some, you know, tax law, then pay it fine like everybody else would do. Um, you know, and if you want to push it to a point where you're in contempt, you're in another set of rules. But to be charged specifically for the cultivation, transportation, distribution, manufacturing of this plant, it's just ridiculous. And Craig and so many others like him are bearing the brunt of this. We've got so much work to do. I'm imploring you to be part of this and to help. So we're going to go now to Glenn. Glenn's got a case going on, and um, his wife Peggy also has a case, although it looks like they're weakening their position um, we're going to set up a new chapter in Ohio, and I think that now is a good time to start. Glenn, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Jordan. How are you guys tonight? 
Well, I am above ground, breathing, and currently out of custody. So that's, right that's a good day in my Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, I uh, heard your uh, opening here, and, and, and you, you, if you could have almost been telling exactly what I'm going through. You know, we went and got our doctor's recommendations, had our cards. We, you know, we did everything that we thought was supposed to be the right way by the law. And, again, it doesn't matter how much you're within the law, they're going to find some reason to come and screw you because of a plant. <clears throat> you know, uh, I had the, the arresting officer stood here that night and, and said, well, you know, what really what alerted us on to what you were doing was, you know, and nobody knows our business. We, we had vending machines. We had a couple of photo machines and a few soda machines and stuff. Of course, you get change out of that. Nobody wants a pocket full of $100, $1 bills or $50 on fives. We'd save them up for a while and we'd take it to the bank and cash them in. Didn't think nothing about it, didn't think we were breaking the law. But apparently, we were told that, you know, by doing that, we made people jealous and mad. Well, were we supposed to bring enough for the whole town? You know, I, I mean, that was really ridiculous. You know, uh, but yeah, that's what they said that really alerted them to watch and w what our activities were was because we cashed in some change that we had taken out of machines and, you know, go to the store and spend 10 bucks and have five and a couple. Of, well, you know, we just throw it in with all that. It wasn't a big deal, we didn't think. But that's part of them screwing you, you know. I mean, when we got our cards and we got our doctor room activation, went to the chief of police and gave him my card. That way, you know, hey, at least you are aware of what is in your community, what we're doing and what we're not doing. <clears throat> we just thought we were within the wall um, and come to find out we obviously wasn't. Um, you know what? Here, here's the interesting thing. When, with my case, I had an employee who... You know, in, in, we had a, a dispensary. We had a collective that was allowed under California law. And we were very adamant about being compliant. We did everything we could to be compliant. And we had rules and policies, procedures. I, I created a whole manual, a training manual even. Everything was as professional and, and, and state-of-the-art as we could possibly make it. And we had this guy who came in. He was a friend of, a, of, of my partner's. And uh, he came in and ended up in a manager's position. And I come to realize that the guy was a drug addict. He was, he was taking uh, pain medication and he was drinking. And I went through the courtesy. Normally I just fire somebody like that. But I gave him the courtesy of giving him a, a warning, you know, a verbal warning first. And I said, hey, man, you got to knock that off. And then he did it again. And I gave him a written warning. I actually wrote up a written warning, had him sign it. And then the third time he did it, I fired him, okay? And when I fired him, he kind of smirked at me as he walked out the door. I had no idea what I was dealing with. This guy turned out to be a psychopath. And a month later, he let it sit for a month. And then he goes and he calls law enforcement and he tells them, he says, I have intimate knowledge of unlawful and dangerous activities that are going on in this operation, and I fear for my life. And it, the way he laid it out, it forced them to 
take action. And later on, he got up on the stand and lied. He literally um, just bald-faced lied with full immunity from prosecution. Never saw that one coming, but that's how fragile each of us is. If you piss somebody off, what they can do to you is unleash the power of the government by making right. a ridiculous claim. And it's sad. It, it really is sad that people that <clears throat> want to heal themselves and want to cure what, you, you know, there's no cure for what my wife and I have. There, there's no cure, there's no amount of money in this world that will create a cure for MS or for Crohn's. It's something that will never be cured. But you can battle the symptoms and you can battle the side effects and everything by using marijuana. And that's what we were doing. We were fixing ourselves. We were medicating ourselves. And uh, it's sad that people are persecuted for wanting to feel better without the pharmaceuticals. You know, we went to, yesterday we went to a, my wife had a neurology appointment, and we went to the neurologist and just popped the question, asked her, well, what, what, what is your thoughts of, you know, battling some of the side effects from MS with marijuana? And she flipped her lid. Now, this is, a, this is a doctor that's supposed to have common sense. And her words were, well, my God, I would never prescribe an illicit drug for somebody with MS. Are you crazy? That will hurt them. I mean, you got to be kidding me. There's tons of, of research done on MS and marijuana. I just absolutely thought this woman was ridiculous. And this is a doctor, a doctor that's supposed to care about your feelings, care about your health. And it really pissed me off and made me upset that, you know, this, this is somebody that's supposed to have common sense. Well, you know, and, and it, it it's a growing it, it's a growing problem, and it's a growing solution. I, I, my my dad was a surgeon; he passed away uh, a year and a half ago. But um, I, I've spent a lot of time around doctors, and and uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of politics and 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 money and fear and crazy things that that are in the physician's world. And these doctors spent so much time and money and energy getting this license that they will protect it at any cost. They're afraid, generally, to do anything to, to potentially damage that license. And it's funny because the doctors that are willing to stand up and write a recommendation, the doctors that are willing to um, let their patients know that this is a good idea are frankly uh, should be considered heroes. They should be considered, right. um, you know, pioneers. They should be considered visionaries. But what happens is, is they get attacked. They get attacked by the medical system. They get attacked by. We have a doctor um, who was attacked by the medical board, and, and they make all these claims saying you're, you know, you're not doing this right. You're not doing that right. And and they just don't like that you're willing to stand up and, and reach outside of what the so-called norm is, which is writing prescriptions for drugs that in so many cases will cause as much harm as they do good. And right. it, it's a brutal, it's a brutal, slow process. But one by one, and, and this is important that everybody realizes this, one by one, 
we're gaining on it. And when somebody gets it, they can't unget it. You know, Glenn, right. you get it, obviously. You were willing to stand up and do something that puts you and your wife in harm's way, probably not thinking it would happen, but in some way you knew that you know you were federally illegal no matter what. We're all right. federally yeah. illegal no matter what. And so to be willing to stand up and do something that could potentially put us in harm's way, um, it, it, it says something about your character, and it's a good thing, obviously, to me. Um, but it's also something that strikes fear and, and unease into law enforcement and government and people that are in positions of power because they don't like it when we're willing to reach outside of that comfort zone. They don't like it when we're willing to um, get out there and try something that maybe isn't going to be sanctioned by them or, or, or anybody else. And unfortunately, um, you know, a lot of times they lash out, and a lot of times what happened to you is the outcome. You know, law enforcement has no problem running in on a on a hunch, running in on a tip, running in on a on a on a weak warrant. They got no problem jumping in with their flak jackets and their helmets and their masks and their machine guns and their helicopters and their battering rams and their tanks and their dogs. They have no problem bringing all that to bear on us on a threat of maybe something was wrong. Right, right. And what the 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 flip side of that also is. Doctors will not get paid by the local drug dealers. You know, pharmaceuticals are more than willing and more than happy to hand out all kind of checks and cashes and vacations and everything else to these doctors that continue to prescribe these medicines that are absolutely killing people on a daily basis. One of the medicines that my wife has is called polegrity. It will, it's not it can, it will cause a brain disease. You know, that. That it can heart, it will weaken your heart muscles. I mean, it states in there those are side effects. They're not possible side effects. Those are side effects. And they want her to continue on this medicine that's going to kill her. And it's not just her. It's everybody across this nation, everybody that is taking pharmaceuticals that are on a blacklist somewhere, and they tell you, oh, well, you don't have nothing to worry about. It may happen. It's not that it may happen. It will happen. If there's no – they would not put warning labels on things if it's impossible. They put warning labels on things because it happens. It may not happen right this moment, but it will happen. And it's sad that they get paid by these companies to continue to push these medicines on people that don't really need them. If they would just ingest some marijuana or if they would just inhale some, eat it. My God, if nothing else, just eat it. You know, it, it's, it's – it's sickening. It's sickening, Joe, that people like us are persecuted against against the community. And that's pretty much what it is because the community has no idea what goes on in somebody's home. They have no idea looking at somebody how sick they are. And it's sad that on a daily basis that people have to go through this. <clears throat> if my wife can't walk. I'm sick to my stomach all the time now. It's not good. And Again, you're, you're absolutely right. If people don't understand, and I've said it before and I will continue to say it, this country needs to have a re-education. For 75, 80 years, they've been persecuting this little poor plant and putting it in the closet because it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. We need a re-education. People need to start opening their eyes and realizing what is going on really. 
Well, I couldn't agree more, and I think part of, you know, what the Human Solutions mission is, is to educate, and the other part is to support. And, you know, prohibition exists, as as those of us that are knowledgeable or, or aware, I guess, rather than knowledgeable, exists because of a policy of, of lies and propaganda, and no other reason. There, the society would not have turned on this plant had there not been a, a, a concerted effort to lie to us and to suppress the goodness about this plant and to uh, bring up and to actually create a, a stigma that is unrighteous, that doesn't belong. And right. For it. And the truth is, generation after generation was fed the same lines of crap and we fell for it. And finally, you know, in the last 20 years since California opened up their medical law and and Israel's been doing all the research and, and we've got, you know, Uruguay and and Portugal and, and you know, Canada's opening up some 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 venues and, you know, we're, we're starting to crumble. It's going to crumble, but the bottom line is until it crumbles, People don't realize what a cash cow this war is for the government, oh, yeah. for law enforcement, for the prison guards union, for so many people persecuting this plant and the people that believe in it. It's just like feeding on, on caviar. It's just right there. You scoop it up and you take it. And we roll over and we don't, we don't fight back. That's where we need to make the change. And, Glenn, fit that profile, and that's why I want to talk now about what can we do about it. So why don't you please give us a a brief update. There's a lot of new listeners on today. Every week there's people that are totally unaware of what the situation is. So I ask if you can do a really brief recap about where you're at with your case right now. And and I know that they they filed on Peggy, and, and let's... Bring us up to date, and then let's move on a plan of action. We talked about it last week. I told you it's time to make a plan of action, and I say let's do it. Right on. Well, uh, my preliminary hearing is tomorrow at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, So far up to this point, um, we have been charged with a felony one of manufacturing, three counts of felony four um, drug uh, possession, uh, a felony three of child endangerment, and I have a felony five of drug trafficking. Um, and every one of them is with drug, with gun specifications on them. Um, we're both looking at roughly about 26 to 42 years for a total of 257 grams of flour and of wax in our home, which is well below what we are quoted to have for a 90-day supply. Um, you know, uh, my preliminary small you had her. Over, what's that? A hair over half a pound of cannabis. Yes, yeah, just a little over half, a, yeah, just a little over half a pound. And between Peggy and I on a 90-day supply, we are allowed to have up to 540 grams. That is what we are slated for a 90-day supply. Um, it, it's expensive. We, you know, we had to save up and we had to get a little bit here, get a little bit here, get a little bit here. 
of course we don't we don't medicate the way we're supposed to the way we were told to i mean so we, because it's expensive i mean my god try to go buy a gram somewhere and you're going to pay an arm and leg for it but yeah just a little over a, a half a pound of of product in our home is what we had or medicine we call it a, it's our medicine um yeah, and we're facing 26 to 42 years. And, of course, a lot of that stems from the guns that we had in the house, too. And, you know, I mean, they claimed that we only had the guns here to protect our drug and our drug profits. We didn't profit from drugs. There's no possible – I mean, anybody can walk into our home and look around and see that there is no profit being made here from nothing. Um, but, you know, I, 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 something that runs in my head, you know, listening – to all the politics and everything, Jeff Sessions saying how dangerous this drug is and how, you know, it's horrible. Well, if it's so horrible and it's so dangerous, the government has a number that's called 6630507. That, anybody can Google that and look it up, and they continue to lie, and it's not lying to just everybody else, they're lying to themselves. 6630507. Uh, it is a patent given to the United States government for medical marijuana. They've had a patent on this for the last 15, 18 years, 19 years almost, of medical marijuana, and they continue to say that there's no medical properties, there's nothing in this thing that's helpful to anybody. Well, God damn it, if it's not helpful and it's not, there's no medical thing, why the hell do you have a patent for medical marijuana then? They don't give out patents for things that don't work. And I will tell you that I will not lay down, and I will continue to fight this every step of the way until they I get a written apology, and I want them to do it publicly. <clears throat> but yeah, we're well, not going uh, to stop. You you have a preliminary hearing tomorrow, and uh, what that typically means um, across the country is that the judge is going to look at. Um, the warrant and a look at the evidence uh, that is presented by the prosecutor to determine if there's merit to the case enough to go on to trial. And unfortunately for the defendant, the burden of proof is fairly low, and most cases do go on to trial. However, I have seen a number of cases that didn't, and in those cases, Many times there was a tremendous amount of, of public support. And um, did you get the ribbons that we sent you? Yes, I did. We got them this afternoon. Um, we, okay. I gave a couple out so far. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to hand them out to everybody I possibly can. And we're going to fight with the human solution, not with them, but we're going to fight alongside of them <laughs> to, there you, you go. know, absolutely everything that we possibly can because, you know, we are not the only ones. We are not alone in this. And I, you know, we did a lot of help through normal, you know, when I was the executive director of a chapter here in Ohio. Um, we belong to a group called SWAV. You know, we have meetings and everything. And we're, you know, at first we were kind of discouraged and was like, you know, we'll piss on this. You know, nobody, you know, where's all the... But we can't be like that. We're not those kind of people, you know. And once we get through this, we're going to help as many people as we possibly can to get through the same thing that they're, you know, we went through. 
and we'll do whatever we can, however we can, where we can to help anybody we can. Well, one of the things that I've learned in... They're those kind of people when they get busted, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, until we had we before this we had a lot of people we had a lot of people around us before this, but now that we were going through this, it, it seems like everybody went ghost on us. Yeah, that that's very typical. What what happens is, and and this is something that you know is one of the reasons that I stay and fight. You know, my case was over. Over three years ago, three and a half years ago, they dropped my case finally after six years. And I just couldn't stop. You know, most people, frankly, 95% of the people even that we work with and help, as soon as their case is over, they just go. And a handful of them stick around. And I, I, just, I just know how valuable what we bring to uh, this fight is. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't see walking away when they're still people in need. And, and one of the things that I think is the most important is that we can teach you what we've learned. You know, I've sat in dozens and dozens of courtrooms all across the country, and, and I've, I've organized I don't know how many cases and, and helped people. And, and fortunate or unfortunately, most of the people really don't dig in the way it sounds like you have. It sounds like you get it enough and you've dug in. And last week we talked about possibly uh, forming a chapter in Ohio. And I, I, if you're still into that, I am too. Um, and one of the Absolutely. things that I, I think that we can do, we can do it here live on the radio, um, is, is to formulate this. We had a chapter that was fairly active um, a few years back. And, again, um, you know, it, it's just one of those things, keeping people interested in something bigger than themselves. None of these cases, I, I, I hate to break it to you, but your case, the fact that you're fighting, it's not about you. It's not about your wife. It's about everybody else that's too weak to stand up and fight. It's about everybody else that shouldn't have to fight. It's about your kids, about your grandkids. It's about your great-grandkids that haven't even been born yet. That's what this is about. And I think the people that get it realize, you know, you could easily walk away from a deal, I mean, take a deal and, and you know, be a good little boy and go away for a little while and, you know, go back to your life. But to stand and fight says, no, it's not about me. It's about something bigger. Right, um, absolutely. When talking last week, um, somebody popped up in the feed and said that they were interested in starting a Chapter 2. Now, one of the things that we've learned is in, in some cases we had, I don't know, five or six chapters in the same state. And what happened was, you know, you you get, you know, one or two leaders, um, you know, and, and they're able to form a chapter and, and you start getting membership and you start doing work. But then you come to realize that you're stronger just having one central chapter for the whole state. And you take all these leaders and all these capable people that you find and, 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 and you cultivate and you bring them together and it's much better to have one larger chapter than to have a whole bunch of little ones. Um, obviously, you know, logistically, you can't necessarily get everybody to come to one place all the time, but people can join meetings through Skype and through all sorts of uh, electronic devices now. Um, I would like to say that all I really need, you know, you guys, 
I know are, are strapped financially, and um, it's not ever about membership dues when we have people willing to fight. And we have what we call a hardway program, which qualifies you and Peggy both um, to be bona fide members of the Human Solution without having to pay dues because you've been locked up for this because you're going through a case. That's what we call a hardway membership. Um, so you guys are actually qualified for that. So if, if you can uh, uh, get me, um, actually I think I already have your your uh, address and everything. If you can get me, um, you know, just your how you would want your names um, on your membership cards. I'm actually sitting right here with my membership coordinator, and we can get get your package out to you. Um, one of the most important things that we have, we used to have a, a more substantial prison outreach program, but it, it became something that was as much of a, of a, I don't want to say a burden because it was, if, if it was a requirement to do certain amount of action, it would sometimes keep people from being valid or, or valid members or, or keeping their chapters current because they weren't able or weren't willing or just didn't um, do as much of the prison outreach as we as we had hoped. And so what we've done is we've really kind of pulled away from that. We absolutely encourage every member to you know reach out and participate with our prison outreach program and to get to know some of these inmates and support them any way we can. But it's no longer a mandatory part of a chapter. The real thing with the chapter is the education and support. Um, mostly what we're looking for are people that are willing to stand up and fight a case um, and, and to rally people to support them. And we have, I, I know that you've been onto the website, we have a whole, a whole section on the website that gets in and talks about how to do effective court support. Um, you know, a lot of times we have people that are, you know, we're rebels, we're, we're uh, revolutionaries, we're warriors. We don't like to be bound by the same rules uh, that, that, that restrict our freedoms. And a lot of times we express that in the way we look and the way we dress and the way we act and the way we talk and the way we um, put things in our faces and whatever. But the truth is, when you go into the enemy's camp, you're best to act like the enemy in the way that you look, in the way that you are respectful, and you don't want to walk in there. I mean, look, anybody has the freedom to do whatever they want. We've just learned that when you walk into court, you be appropriate. You don't piss on the court as you're walking in. It will go against you more than it will help you. And if you have a number of people standing in court with you that are dressed, I'm not saying you got to wear a suit and tie, but, you know, um, you know, dress that's as though, yeah, be appropriate and respectful. And, and that's really the key to it. Um, don't walk in there with your cell phone on. Don't walk in there so hot you're going to fall asleep. Um, don't, you know, don't be so fidgety that you can't sit still. You know, walk in there with a little notepad, take some notes, be be attentive, and just sit there and listen. There's not a place in a gallery for participation. Your participation is your presence, and you observe the proceedings. And that puts them in check because they're not used to that. They're used to doing whatever they want, 
And most people, when they come in and sit in court for the first time, they walk out with their jaw dragging on the floor, and they go, oh, my God, I can't believe what I saw. Well, get ready. They're going to do some outrageous stuff. They're going to do things that you didn't think they could. And you get a lot of people that are knowledgeable about, you know, their rights and their sovereignty and all this and that and the other thing, and you try to pull that stuff in court, and you just end up getting drug out in contempt. And right. that doesn't help any of us. The thing is, no. when we stand together and we're united, and this ribbon, this little green ribbon with the red cross, is a uniting symbol, with very few exceptions. Like every once in a great while, a court will not allow this ribbon. But most of the time, overwhelmingly most of the time, federal, state courts, family courts, you name it, they allow it because it doesn't say anything. It doesn't say, I'm for pot. It doesn't say, legalize it. It doesn't say any of that. It's a simple green ribbon with a simple red cross. The green ribbon is obviously a show of support for things green. The red cross is an indicator that we're kind of a first responder. And the truth is, as you'll find, when people are in need, who do you call? You call for somebody that's going to walk into a fire, not somebody that's going to run away from it. And that's what you're doing. That's what we do. Every time we show up in court, we run to the fire. And you will see, as you're able to gather together a few people, it doesn't even need to be a huge amount, although the larger the number, the better, there will be a shift in that courtroom. You've walked into court by yourself. You know what it's like. When you walk in there with a group of people, you'll see a noticeable change. And it, the change, if we do it right, and if we're there right. effectively, the change will right. always us in a positive way. You, they raise the stakes. They will make any reason to kick us out. I mean, literally, if, if if you start being effective and you start packing that courtroom, they will look for any reason. In fact, in my trial, hell, there were some days they had six bailiffs in that courtroom. Six fucking bailiffs in a courtroom for a pot case with no victim. But they were afraid of all those people standing there silently observing what was going on in that courtroom. And in the end, it bit them in the ass because in the end, I'm not a felon. And in the end, that judge is retired and the prosecutor got demoted. So that's how it all played out in my case, and it could play out the same in any other case. So right on. the first thing that we're going to do is establish um, a court support coordinator, and that's really the key component to a chapter. Um, and frankly, the person who is kind of playing the lead, which it seems is going to be you right now, is the best suited for that, but I try to encourage you to have somebody else, at least one person that you can call your number one, somebody who really can can focus their energy on um, building the chapter and dealing with things that are the chapter because you frankly need to focus on your case and you need to focus on um, everything you can to prepare yourself to be in the right mindset to, to make sure that you've got every possible um, weapon drawn that you have to bring to your defense. Right, absolutely. We we are gathering a nice-sized support group for both Peggy and I. And we have a couple people in mind that, I, that we could put in those places to help coordinate and do those things. Yeah, um, 
you're right. I'm going to be kind of busy, you know, keeping my head on the game and, and getting through this. Um, but on the same side of that is, is I don't want nobody else to go through this alone either because you're right. It, it really sucks for going into court, not this time, but times before I've gotten to go into court by myself. And it is, it, it's pretty lonely and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really look good if you're in there by yourself. You know, you're right. <clears throat> you got to have a support. you got to have people that are there on the same side, going taking into, the same way. Oh, oh, there's nothing good about going into court by yourself, not anything. No. And, you know, what's going what's gonna to happen, and it's important for you, Glenn, to become a spokesperson. I know Peggy is, you know, dealing with a lot of, of, of health issues and, you know, her voice is important too, though. The voice of the person who is suffering maybe the most from this is important as the person who's spearheading the fight. You're the tip of the spear on this. Both of you are. And that means you're the one going to punch the hole through the wall. You're also the one going to draw the most blood. And it's important that you're able to convey that message with clarity and conviction and that's what I want to help you do. I want to help be an amplifier. I want to help to help you craft that message because your message is good. You you have a, a, a good ability to speak. And I think that one of the things that's most successful about building a chapter, and frankly, in a lot of ways, the chapter is more important than your case because the chapter is what's going to go and make the difference after your case is over. There's going to come a point where your case is over. And then what? Right. And that's key. And then what? What's the point of all of this if we don't keep going? If we don't keep going, hopefully, well, hopefully it ends, and hopefully they give up and they drop your case and all the others. But if they don't, um, there's going to be another that needs your help, and they're going to now rely on your experience that you've got in your courtroom. And that's why right. I think if we can find one person that we can count on to kind of be um, your you know, the, the go-to person for the chapter, the person that's going to look to, to to gather some membership, the person to um, handle educational materials, the person to help coordinate with national um, getting dates on calendars and scheduling meetings and things like that, whereas you are best suited to be the spokesperson, the person who, um, you know, is talking about why this is important, what we can do. We're going to get into talking about jury nullification in a future show. Um, hopefully it won't be necessary, but you know what? If the judge doesn't give the right instruction, it will absolutely be necessary. And I see Peggy Sue is a, a fighter as well, and that's fantastic. I, I, You know, if it wasn't for my wife standing by me, I don't know if or how I would have done it. And every once in a while she pokes her head in and has something to say, and she's always got a voice on this show. Um, you know, the, the, the strength of two is is uh, unstoppable with the right group. So I, I applaud the two of you for standing together um, more than you know. And that's why, like okay. I say, I'm, I'm here to, uh, to help raise you up. I'm here to give you the experience that I've gained um, with with no strings. I just want to I want to be there to – I want to see you win. I want to see you create an outpost that if somebody else falls victim and maybe isn't as strong or as smart or as savvy as you guys are or end up, that they can throw a hand up and you can reach out and pull them up and help to make that difference. And that's kind of what the human solution is all about. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. We're both we're both ready to. I mean, it, Peggy is, gives me a lot of my strength. If it wasn't for Peggy, I I don't know where I would be. You know, not only in this but in life. Period. Um, she is my strength. She gives me the will to continue to fight, and I'm so thankful to have a wife that is supportive and it is right here beside me. <clears throat> that is a, a very important thing. Um, and you know. I don't think even after our case is over, the fight's never going to be over. Brothers in arms, that's the way I look at it. You know, somebody somewhere is always going to continue to go through this. You know, it, regardless of how much states legalize it, there's always going to be somebody there that needs a fighter, somebody there that's always going to need a crutch. You know, and we are more than willing to step into those positions and, and be a voice and be heard and let them know how wrong they are. Well, that is fantastic. What we're going to do, um, I've got Pete Yapel on the line, too, and he's from New York. I'm hoping we're going to be able to get a New York chapter going, too, which is going to give us a nice outpost in the East Coast. Um, we've been, you know, fairly Central and West-centric, even though we've had off and on um, some support out in the East. It's been much more difficult to get, for whatever reason, um, to get, you know, people to, to work together on the East Coast. Um, but more and more, I've got some uh, members in Massachusetts. Um, we've, got, we've got some members in North Carolina. So we're really starting to really uh, uh, stand up, rise up, and get our, our light post going, our, our lighthouse going. Here's going to be the very most difficult thing that you're going to be faced with here. And I, you're going to laugh, but it's just the one thing that I'm going to need from you to get this chapter chartered at this point. I need a name for your chapter. So think about it. Get with me in the next day or so, and um, we'll be able to uh, make it official. Um, and you'll, you know, the the old chapter um, really just, it didn't die, but it just, it, it sat fallow. So we're going to uh, revive it, give it a new name, and... Um, put you guys in the driver's seat and you will be supported by national and myself. And, um, um, you know, we'll be working together more as a team. You'll be invited to our, um, executive, uh, meeting every Tuesday and Thursday at, at uh, 9 a.m. Pacific time. And you can join, um, you know, me and my, uh, executive team and, and, um, and some of the other chapter coordinators that join us from time to time. And we can put our heads together as to the best way to build your chapter and to um, be a better resource. Right on. I absolutely look forward to working with you and working with the Human Solution International. Absolutely. Fantastic. All right. Well, um, I think that puts us in a good place. If you can get me um, the information for your for your member cards as well as um, – a name for your chapter, and uh, we'll get moving on that. We're going to be talking tomorrow in our in our Thursday meeting, and we'll uh, we'll bring it all to the table and uh, get you officially chartered. And then from this point, um, I'm going to send you out a packet that has a bunch of information, a bunch of brochures, um, jury notification cards, and um, we're actually um, developing a, a banner graphic right now, so we'll be able to probably get you guys a banner as well. And um, I think that's that's the first step is letting, you know, what what happens is is we become a lighthouse. And if you know anything about a lighthouse, it's it's a beacon. It's a light that that is burns 
whether there's somebody there or not. It's a play. It's a it's a light that shows a ship that's approaching land. That hey, there's something going on over here. Be aware. And in our case, the lighthouse is a light saying, hey, there's a friendly over here. Um, you're not alone. There's somebody here that can help, that cares, that will listen, that will, and, and not only that, but that's connected to a team of people all across the country and in Canada and, and in a couple of other countries uh, of like-minded folks, of like-minded warriors, of like-minded revolutionaries, of people that are willing to do the extraordinary for what needs to be done. And that's the team that you're joining here. It's kind of a, it's not like most of those other groups where you just pay your dues and you get your little whatever and you show up at a party once in a while. Um, we're we're like the A team. We're the special forces team. We're the ones that um, that people call when the shit really hits the fan. Um, we're the ones that are there to to make it happen. Right on. You're right. We'll we will be there every step of the way with you guys. More than happy to join and really glad to be part of this. Beautiful. All right. Well, Glenn and Peggy Sue, um, a pleasure to have you and welcome to the team. And I look forward to hearing the name of the new Ohio chapter. And we will uh, be talking probably tomorrow as we move this thing forward. I think let I me just know tomorrow get out of the court. Let me know what happened and we'll, we'll proceed from there. Right on. Absolutely. I, I think I just posted it there, Joe. I think that, that, uh, I think that, Sounds like a good name there, Creative Care Beacon. I love it. I love it. All right, the Creative Care Beacon chapter of the Human Solution, Ohio. Let's do it. We will call it. We will call it uh, official. Right on. Absolutely. All right, brother. I will talk to you very soon. And uh, again, welcome to the team. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. And you guys have a great evening. You betcha. All right, again. Glenn Keeling and Peggy Sue from Ohio. Um, welcome, folks. We now have a brand-new baby chapter. Actually, we have an older chapter that um, got reincarnated. It got reborn. It is now alive and better than ever. Um, all right, we got Pete Yapel. Pete Yapel and his wife, Helen, are 420 members, and um, we are working. You know, it's funny. I, I spent... I, I, you're live on the air. Welcome to the show. Hey, Joe. I'm here. I'm just listening to you, brother. I don't want to step on you. Oh, no, no. It's all good. I'm here to talk to you a little bit. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> good. Well, I know. I thought you were going to get ready to say something. Hey, listen, man. You know I've been listening to the whole show, and I've been chomping at the bit and like, ah, so many times during this conversation because, heck, you know, I do a two-hour show every week, too, and it, it, it just baffles me me with people using this whole legalize it thing uh, or regulate like alcohol and, and tobacco and all this other, excuse my French, but bullshit, because that's what it is. It is straight up bullshit. No it is a plant. This plant is a plant I need to live, okay? I need this plant to live. My, my medical conditions require me because Western medicine did nothing but make me more ill. So when I sit back on a daily basis and see Pete bust after bust and this and that going on, and especially, Joe, you have to remember, I'm on the East Coast, and 
it's very difficult here. You know, um, when we put ourselves as real activists, when we put ourselves in these positions and we try to help people, and our whole whole mission is just to help people, you know, and to try to free this plant that God put on this earth for us to use. And I, the frustration is 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 mind boggling at times. Um, I, you know, it's things are starting to loosen up on the west on the east coast, I should say. All right, masks went legal, this that you know thing, you know, with recreational and 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 whatnot. But still, they don't get it on this coast, and it is such a, it's a horrible thing um, to to always do that pitting west coast east coast thing, west coast east coast thing, and this pride. You know, but but we know what pride and egos do. You know what I mean? Like it, it, at the end of the day, I don't care what your group stands for. I mean, not speaking to you specifically, that, but in general, I do not care what people's what their group stands for. The ultimate goal of that group is to be able to use cannabis how they need and want to. And truly, the only way is. Ending prohibition, abolishing law that's attached to it. Fine. Listen, I'm not an ignoramus. I know if if cannabis prohibition, if there was an end of cannabis prohibition and the market opened up, and I don't begrudge anybody making a dime, but I do begrudge people on raping patients. That's where I. That's where my line gets drawn. When when people are sick, they're overburdened with bills to begin with. They're overbuilding with just getting through a day because they're sick, for Christ's sake. And for, for, for there to be the mass of people out there that have and try to sell their crap online, you know, their drugs online, and I'll call them drugs when they're trying to sell them like that because that's what, that's what I'll consider them. If you want to be just a pusher, be just a pusher. Don't do it on my time right now. Wait until people that need this plant need it can have it and have it at their fingertips without any form of harassment, without any form of anything. And that's just not only to grow it, but to manufacture it themselves, make their own medicine, eat raw plant, do whatever it is. But until that day comes, it, there's no, I mean, there's just no room for all this other crap. That, that's, that's one. Two is, is sitting back and hearing that, that people like, uh, or, or oh, let me let me let me not get off that real quick first. But here on the East Coast, like I've got people as an activist that reach out to me on a daily. Okay, I'm dying of cancer, or I've got this wrong with me. I've got that wrong with me. Where? How can I get relief? What can I do? Blah 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 blah. Well, you don't have compassionate growers on the East Coast, and if you do, there's so few and far and in between, and sporadic and spotty that it does the patient no good. That's one. Then there's two. There are those that call themselves the compassionate grower and want to donate. And I use that word very lightly because how can you be donating something if you expect compensation for it? That's not a donation. That is selling your product. So, so don't look at me and say, I'm a, I, I'm a compassionate grower and I want to donate and help a patient. And then at the end of the conversation, tell me it's going to be $1,500 for a cancer cure. Now, that's not donating. That's not doing what we as people in this industry that have the capability or, ha- or, or take on the, cap- the, the responsibility should be doing. Uh, 
you know, there, you, there's, there's no need for you to keep your, your sugar. There's no need for you to keep your sugar leaves. There's no need for you to keep your popcorn bud and make dabs for, unless you're doing them for yourself. But if you're doing them and then raping people at $70, $80 a gram on this, uh, on this side of the co- country for a gram of dabs, what are you doing? What good are you doing? You're doing absolutely no good. You're giving this system or this, this whole thing a, the name that they want to keep pinning on it. And that, that, that kills me, Joe. It, it really does. Well, you know, well, let's talk I, about that for a second because what you're talking about, in my opinion, is a symptom of a greater problem. And the problem is simply that prohibition creates an environment for this black market to thrive. And, you know, if you think about this, if we keep our eyes on the prize, and the prize isn't passing a law that says this person can do this and this person can do that. It, it's funny, there there was a, and I'm going to just take a little sidestep here. Uh, there was a, a an article that got posted on the UCCA page um, about a guy named Spencer Troy Ward who was sentenced to 12 years, 7 months, um, in Michigan, and um, I read it. They claim that that he was standing under the banner of of protection of his law, but they claim he was just a drug dealer. Now, right. I I look at that and I say, and and it's funny because there was a person in the comments who I was really hoping would come and join the show, but apparently he was a Facebook warrior and not. Not not somebody who, you know, Stephen Sneer Snively is what he goes by on Facebook. But anyways, um, I was hoping he would join me, and and I offered and 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 friend in a friendly way, um, invited him to have conversation about this because his point of view was the guy violated the law, so he deserved what was coming to him. And <laughs> the point is this: number one. The prosecution files charges and accuses you of crimes. That doesn't mean you did those crimes, and it doesn't mean what they accuse you of is just or right. It doesn't mean that the law they accuse you of breaking is a good law. It just means they uh, accuse you of crimes. Go ahead. Right. Okay. And then second of all, if the law that you have that allows for your use of this plant in whatever limited fashion that it allows, does not remove the black market, then no, that law is insufficient. Oh, absolutely. Listen, you it's funny uh, because, like, like, things become designer. You know, like, everybody on the East Coast is so into these uh, into these uh, uh, vape pens, you know, the, the concentrates. And, I, Joe, I joke you not when I stopped the girl that I went to school with and whatever. She reached out to me because when it comes to cannabis, that's what people around here will do. They'll reach out to me. Hey, am I doing the right thing? Is this, you know, blah, 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 Because you know Helen and I, that's what we're about. We're about educating first. First and foremost, we're about educating people because you can't go into this ignorant. You can't. And – Especially if you want to make a real, make real changes and make make a difference, you cannot be ignorant. You you can't not to the law, not to the plant, not to j- just morality. 
you know, being a moral human being. Uh, but she said to me, she says, this guy's got, you know, got these pens, you know, and da-da-da-da-da. And, you know, he says they're 90% THC and whatever and going on down list. I said, all right, all right, get through with it. What, What is it? She goes, yeah, he wants $100 a pen. I said, $100, a half-inch cartridge. And that's, listen, because it's the new thing and the cool thing and people can sneak it on their vape pen, you know, they're paying $100, a half a gram of concentrates. And I, and I laugh. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I can make that for $8. I don't know what the hell you're, you know, why you're paying freaking $100 for something like that. But, but that's what happens. The black market thrives even more. And, the, and when you do have states on the East Coast, I'll talk about New York in general, just because I'm fed up and sick of the law and what it is here. They try to act as though they're doing the patients a favor. They overcharge them with inferior product, very limited product, mind you. They may be able to get a vape pen. They may be able to get an inhaler, or they may be able to get some oils, but they're not of the, they're not of the greatest quality. I've seen, a, I've seen in, uh, a lot of people that have used both that and then used uh, things from uh, grassroots people. And, but, but, then again, too, there's no, it's private, there's no privatization. You can't be just a public citizen and just go purchase a dispensary and open it up. But there's no buds. There's no nut. There, there aren't these things that we need. I mean, uh, unfortunately, what people, people's misconception is, is that cannabis is cannabis is cannabis is cannabis. Absolutely not. Cannabis is not. Cannabis, pot, marijuana, whatever you want to call it. I don't care what our people, people call it. I don't take offense to any of it. But at the end of the day, there, there is so much been behind that has gone behind this and so many decades now of people treating and people, you know, experimenting and tweaking and finding ways for people to consume cannabis in the proper way for their condition. There might be some people that just need to smoke a joint. There just might be those. There might be those people that just need a CBD oil. There might be, but there are people that need whole plant. There are people that, that, that truly need FICO, a, a full extract of the cannabis plant. There are people out there that need to eat raw plant, that just need the cannabinoid profiles that are in the plant that they can just put in their food, that they can, I mean, hell, man, we, our day starts with a cup of tea infused you know and it ends at the end of the night with a tincture you know there's just so many things out there that 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 can help you and aid you and what i find especially works joe and i, I you know me i'm sorry i ramble a lot but i'm so passionate oh, no, about it's, this, all good. it's my freaking life you know what i mean this is my life but there are so many people out, out there that that just don't understand the amount of uh, 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 the different ways that this plant can be used. And that's just not only med. believe me, it's not, it's not only medically, but I get so, I get so upset at the end of the day when, when I sit back and see all this crap about the new opiate epidemic that we have. I didn't know if everybody else knew that it was new, but hell, I know Anna Nicole Smith died 10 years ago and, you know, it was just an oversight at that point in time. But, but people that want to make the switch from an opiate or a, a pharmaceutical uh, regiment that they're on from their doctor, 
the best way that I've found a lot of times to explain it to them is when you take your oil, it's like you're taking your morphine in the morning. That's your, that's your all-day medicine that you need for the whole day. Now, your doctor is going to give you your Percocet that you're going to take in between every four to six hours for your breakthrough point pain and this, that, and the other thing. For that, fine. Use a concentrate. Smoke your weed. Pull a dab hit. Those things are so much more healthier than you than them damn pharmaceuticals will ever be that you'll ever, that, than you'll ever know. Then your sleeping pills or whatever else. Your sleep aids. Good. A lot of people could just smoke a good joint and go to sleep if they've got a high indica. But there's other people that do need a good tincture or something. So if you can break it down now, to people that have these. Hey, I've got a lady who um, is a dear friend. She's a board member of the Human Solution. Her name's Kathy Z. And she uses cannabis in more ways than I ever would have imagined anybody could. And she <laughs> went from uh, living on pharmaceuticals to the point where she nearly died of four organ failure. She was obese, mm-hmm. over 300 pounds, and she started taking cannabis. And she is now taking none of these pharmaceuticals. Um, she got her weight under control, and she takes it from morning till night. She smokes it. She vapes it. She eats it. She eats incredible amounts of oil. She takes suppositories, she does edibles, she does, I mean, every way there is to take it. But what it does is it allows her to function without these pharmaceuticals. And, you know, I had a hard time believing it unless I lived with somebody who was able to take so much. She probably takes 2,000 milligrams of of THC a day. But so what? It gets her by and it does no harm. Exactly, and 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 once again, she's right, and she's doing it the right, like doing it the right way. Like, my, a cannabis literally does. It's in my. It's I have a cup. Even though I have my coffee in the morning, I have I have a cup of tea, an infused cup of tea every day. I take my oil dose every day. I dab every day. I smoke weed every day, and I cook with weed every day. These are just things. But but see, and but you have to remember, Joe. One year, three months, and sixteen days ago. I made a trek out west to save my life from being on 136 pharmaceutical pills every single day. It was like eating a meal, and it was killing me. My next recourse was to go to Mayo, the Mayo and, uh, and uh, Sean Kettering and have muscle biopsies done because I was just dying, and they didn't know why. Well, I figured out why. You were killing me, and I, and I stopped you from doing it. And yes, there are underlying medical problems. Don't get me wrong. I had medical issues, but they've distorted, blew up, added. I've got a list of diagnoses as long as my leg. And I can attribute 90% of it to a lot of things, or to two main things. I believe neuropathic Lyme. Neuropathic Lyme is a miserable, deadly disease that they know nothing about the autoimmune system. They have really no clue about the autoimmune system, unfortunately, doctors and such. And and Lyme isn't specific anymore. It's not a strain of Lyme. There are millions of them out there. I was a tree man for 11 years. I probably pulled 50 ticks out of my body in a lifetime. Never knew, never thought, never understood why I was getting sick. But for 15 years, my health just declined and declined and declined, where my organs were shutting down. I had to remind myself to breathe. I, you know, I, I've, I've now, and I have cluster headaches worse than I've, uh, than anybody could ever imagine that caused me to have many strokes. But without cannabis, that's how I end up. 
I used to be in the hospital twice a week. I'm in the hospital twice a year. I mean, visiting the doctor or the hospital twice a year now. And it, it, it's, it's just mind-boggling to me that people can see, can see someone that was so ill I mean, like grasping, 54 over 36 was my blood pressure. They read me my last rites 15 times. It, you know, it, why can't they understand that? I threw away everything you were trying to do to make me better, and I substituted it with one thing in many forms, yes, but one thing that does nothing, nothing to me ill, no ill to me whatsoever. And then again, you know, it's not just cannabis. You have to know. You have to know when, to, when you need a sativa. You have to know when a hybrid's okay for you. You have to know when you need a straight indica. These are, it's education, 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 people. And, and it's, it, it's, it's only being, it's only making us a sicker nation um, by, by fighting this tooth and nail. Once again, People that made these laws weren't sick, poor people. They were the rich elite idiots that, that, that just felt like, okay, we can make a hell of a lot of money on this. And we can keep people dumb, fat, stupid, and sick. Because if we keep them that way, they won't fight back. Well, you know, I jokingly said on my show last week, it finally happened that someday some dude just threw out his pills and started using cannabis as a as as their choice of health care, and they said, man, dude, they've been lying to us, <laughs> and, you know, and he just went over and talked to all the other dudes that he was freaking trading out oxys with all month long, and people started to get it that, you know what, we're not dumb. They thought we were dumb, but we woke up, and I, I, just, I just can't understand it. I don't want to see another person spend a day in jail for this plant. I don't want to see a person that that can, you know, can grow a garden house plant in their house, not be able to just grow and, and mature, bud, and use a cannabis plant a, a, as well. To me, to me, it's just simply that simple. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, I, I don't know, what, what is your timeline? Are you planning on being in New York for a while? Or are you going to be moving around? Yeah, I'm going to yeah, I'm gonna be here for some time. Uh, we, you know, we got a grandchild coming and, and it, you know, listen, as much as I don't like being here, there's too much of a fight here. I've got, you know, friends of mine that are dying, you know, and I'm doing everything I can for them on a daily basis. But you know as well as I do, Joe, our resources run thin at times. And I'm not a rich man. I'm a sick man, and I'm trying to even treat myself, you know what I'm saying? So for me to do for others, if, you know, it is always a stretch, but it's always a stretch that I always do even when it behooves myself. You know, Helen gets a little upset with that when I take from myself, but it, I can't, I can't watch, I can't do it. I'm, I just can't do it. I can't see people suffer that I know could benefit so greatly from such a simple thing, from a, such a simple, simple thing. And I really, Joe, I'd love to, you know, if there's already, I heard you saying you don't want multiple chapters. If there's a chapter already out here, dude. Just get me in touch with somebody, because if there's somebody, if there's one person that can rally and draw people and, and gather people to so show support and do, I can do that in, in, like that, snap of a finger. All I got to do is start making phone calls, you know, so well, that's what I, 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 really I think, 
I think I think New York is ripe for a chapter. For the past eight years, I have wanted a chapter in New York. I had a couple of people a few years ago that were fighting the case, and they were going to start one, but like so many, they just dropped off. They didn't stick with it. We never got it off the ground. I would love mm-hmm. to, to get going, and maybe, you know, we can have the focus of a chapter um, on education in in lieu of having any cases to support directly at the time. If it becomes a time to, uh, if somebody does come in and, and need that support, um, you know, we can absolutely, uh, you know, include that. But, you know, you've got such a great um, channel for educating people um, about the plant. I say let's let's raise the ante, let's create a chapter for New York, and let's let's put our focus on that chapter in teaching people about their rights, about um, right. about how to operate regardless of how a law is or isn't. Um, teach people how to stand together because the value of unity is powerful, so much so that in many cases I've seen where somebody had a lot of support to go in, uh, sometimes law enforcement will stand down. They don't want to go up against uh, somebody who already has community support. Building a community has value much beyond the social benefit of it. It it has a tremendous value empowering people. And you can cross-pollinate. You can share the education about the plant, about the medicine, about how to make it, how to grow it, how to use it, how to find it in a safe, affordable way, whatever a case may be. But also, you can teach people about their rights as a juror, about their rights as a defendant, about if you get pulled over, what to do, what not to do, especially. We can go through so many different layers of that. I would love to be a part of that with the education being the focus. Absolutely. And listen, Joe, all of that and all of that that you're dancing around and stepping around, and I know what you're getting with, and I, because I believe it, I believe too, and I believe that people are ignorant to it, is jury nullification. People have to understand that just because a law is a law doesn't make it right. You have a, if someone is doing something that is completely within moral and ethical reasons, why in the hell would you send them to jail for it? Because some guy wanted to push a piece of paper on it and put some Greek and Latin words on a, you know, together to make a bunch of mumbo jumbo. To me, it doesn't make any sense. If someone, if, if the guy next door to me got arrested and was growing six plants and I know he had cancer and I know I didn't see 600 people coming in his door trafficking in and out and out that he was just selling whatever he's doing. And this guy's growing. He's growing his own pot. He's making his own medicine. He's doing his own thing. Why should anybody bother him? Listen, I've never sold, I've never had to, or never planned to if I don't need to, ever had to sell cannabis. I never have. I've always given it away. All product, anything I've ever made, anything I've ever produced, whatever else. That's just who I am because, because I've been on the other side of it. I've been on it where, you know, you sit there and you sit every day. You wake up, you open your eyes, and you start to feel. And once you start to feel and you open your eyes and you start to feel, sometimes you can't get away from it. Well, uh, yeah, I'm talking about having illness, you know, so your troubles start from the second you wake up in the day, you know, anybody that can give someone some kind of relief, some kind of peace of mind, some kind of something that they don't have to worry about. 
I think that's a, a, an incredible gift to begin with. And then starting a chapter the way you say and having it for education and this, that, and the other thing and such, the chapter will still be there. Cases will come. Once people hear about it, cases will come, especially in this state. I know in this state. Believe me, man. We just had a oh, guy. you become the lighthouse for your area. You become the yeah, beacon. Well, you become the place that people can come to. And that's, you know, if you build it, they will come. And that's it's, it's been the experience. Every chapter that's ever existed, whether it was for a week, a month, or, or indefinitely, has grown on its own simply by being there and, and letting it be known, standing loud and proud, going, here we are, we can help. Here we are, we have something to offer. Here we are, and, and this is something of value. And when people recognize it and see that you're not just trying to take them for something, you're not just trying to get them to do something they don't want to do, you're actually there is a resource. Um, there couldn't be anything more benevolent or or um, or uh, altruistic than this work. It's just Absolutely. doing the right the right reason, and there isn't a, a hidden agenda. But listen, Pete, I got uh, seven minutes left, and I got Tom Corby holding on. Oh wait a minute, Tom. Oh yeah, Tom Corby's here. Yep, we got the NorCal report to come up, so. Let's talk further on this, and I look forward to the development of our New York chapter. I've been looking forward to it for many years. Thanks, Joe. Just let me say one more thing, just one quick statement. Absolutely, of course. Listen, everybody out there that listens, everybody's a part of a group, and this is the part that bothers me more than anything. I have 9,000 followers between all of my groups, and that's individual followers. I have 15,000 followers, but 9,000 are unique, so they stand alone. I, I, I... I implore all 9,000 that follow me, that listen to me, and that support me to be me for five minutes. Don't leave this fight to 5% of the goddamn cannabis activists on the planet. We are tired. We do it all. And if you're going to support me, support me by raising your hand, standing up, shouting at the top of your lungs like I do every single day, that prohibition needs to end, and this is foolish. I couldn't agree with you more, and I'll, I'll be right there with you, making that same plea. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's get together. Let's stand together with Pete Apple and the rest of the activists that get it, that are willing to put ego aside, and let's just end prohibition. It's that simple. Let's stand together until we get her done. All right, Joe, have a good night, brother. Thank you for your time. You betcha. We'll talk soon. All right, Tom Corby, you are up next to Reel at Home with the NorCal Report. Welcome to the show. Uh, thanks, Joe. Uh, always Becca, Mary, and a coffee party radio show for another historical show. And believe me, these shows are historical, folks. Also thanking all those always on the front line coming together to help be the solution to end prohibition, all the great speakers today uh, have some good news to report. Uh, I don't know if uh, Tracy Gore came on or yet. I came in late tonight, but Lance Gore finally got his uh, commissary privileges uh, reinstated. He finally got some warm clothes and some better food. Uh, he'll be running us all soon. He's getting his stationery and stamps together. Uh, time to freelance score. Uh, Craig Cecil. Uh, they've all done their unjust time 
for our sacred plant, and nobody should be going to jail for any plant. Uh, <clears throat> Derek Pierce talked about his case. Uh, Joe mentioned today most of these charges are the same charges, uh, cultivation, possession, uh, uh, for sales. Uh, uh, now, also, uh, Eric Pierce, as I talked before, is also charged with misdemeanor mushroom. What's that say? That's misdemeanor. We don't go to trial for misdemeanors. Uh, one of the trials I sat in, actually with Nick Moran, one of the jurors actually got up. When it got down, all the charges have been reduced to misdemeanors with AMA, the good side of it. Um, got up, and one of the jurors uh, in jury trial selection got up and said, I'm here for a misdemeanor. You took me out of work, went out of the courtroom. And like Joe said, there's there's no drama. Uh, like the courtroom, you would not believe what goes on inside those courtrooms. And one who recently goes to, yeah, to bear witness to the injustices that go on inside there. Uh, <clears throat> so Eric Pierce had uh, his, let's just say, we talk about wasting time and taxpayers' money and disrupt lives and families. Uh, Eric Pierce is going, went to his uh, fifth pre, uh, actually pre-trial conference, trial readiness conference. It's all the same. His fifth. Uh, are they going to actually do counting? Uh, by the way, uh, I just heard Eric Pierce was, uh, said that uh, Mike Ramsey, uh, the DA here at Butte County, which most folks know about, Joe knows very well about Mike Ramsey, uh, has retired. So let's hope we get him. <laughs> so let's hope we get We have simple in mind up here uh, that we'd like to them to become DAs, and we will get behind them. Uh, so Eric Pierce uh, had his TRC uh, trial readiness conference uh, uh, just this last, uh, uh, let's see here on my calendar, and I, I always uh, suggest having a calendar even then. It's hard to keep up with it when you're a coordinator. And when Joe talks about being coordinator, court support, uh, getting people together is one of the most important things we can do. Uh, uh, so he had his trial, uh, readiness conference number five at 8:30 a.m. Uh, this last Tuesday, uh, December 12. Uh, was a very short hearing. Uh, he goes on to uh, TAC, which is a trial assignment conference, which uh, is at 10:30 a.m. Uh, this Friday. December 15th at number one quarter street. Uh, what's that say? When you go, when you already go to TRC number five, and then you're going to go to another trial assignment conference. What a waste of time and taxpayers money. And because he's already set, uh, Pierce is already set for jury trial selection. Uh, the, the fifth time, uh, uh next Monday, uh, at 10 AM, uh, no, that's actually uh, no, that's no, that's at 8:30 a.m. Uh, 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 December 18th. Uh, doubt I've given these all these defendants up here. Uh, we've sent precedents, getting dismissals and acquittals one by one. I always give them two to one on. The case will be dismissed. Uh, 
Eric Pierce is standing his ground. Uh, he's using this, the sacrament on. Now they've only got him uh, on one charge, misdemeanor mushrooms. He's using the sacrament. Uh, and it uh, looks good for also uh, uh, Pierce to get his case dismissed. I also see on my calendar that James, the Benno three, James Benno and his boys are going back to hearing. Uh, also the same day as Eric Pierce up in Shasta County uh, at 10 a.m. Uh, last I heard, James Benno said that he finally realized that if there's no victim, there's no crime. Uh, so it looks good even for James Benno's case to go away. Uh, I want to mention Dr. Allen. I'm glad he's on today. Uh, do- a doctor that stands his ground for us. And uh, when he spent 14 months Mississippi Fed prison, uh, most men did not endure that. What he endured, it almost caused him to take his life. Uh, this is what this does to us. Uh, it's so hard uh, to even comprehend it's incomprehensible that folks uh, are going to jail for a plan uh, I'll cut to the chase uh, I want to thank everybody all today coming together uh, be the solution to end prohibition and you can join us at the human solution international dot org and my wife Donna says don't forget to breathe Thank you, Joe, all today. All right. Thank you very much, Tom Corby and uh, NorCal Report. And thank everybody. Thank you, Noncompliant Mary, for screening today. And uh, thank the Coffee Party for making us a place to have this little show. And thanks, Lynn and Peggy Sue and Pete Gaple and everybody else who joined us in our quest to end prohibition. We'll see you next time. I am Willie Nelson, and the Willie Nelson Teapot Party and I endorse the human solution, supporting cannabis prisoners because no one should go to jail for a plant. Little things I should have said and done, you were always on my mind.